Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Devarim. My name is Menachem Leibtag. Today we continue our study of Parshad Re'e, Shur number 4 out of 6. We will be studying from chapter 14, verse 3, till the end of the chapter in verse 29. It divides into three major sections. Verses 3 through 21 will discuss the kosher animals, or basically what you can eat, be it animals, be it fish, and be it fowl. Then in verses 22 through 26, we will discuss where we can eat food, referring to the Maser Sheni, the tithe the farmer must take from his produce, and that 10% can only be eaten in Jerusalem or Bamakoma Shariv HaRashem. And finally, verses 27 through 29 will be a different type of Maser, that every three years, instead of bringing it to Yerushalayim, will be given to the poor and the needy. So let's begin with the first section in relation to kosher animals. It begins in chapter 14, verse 3. Lo tochal kol Thou shalt not eat anything that is detestable, or anything that is repulsive. The word toiva is used many times in the Torah to describe things that are repulsive. For example, back in Sefer Breshit, it was a toiva for the Egyptians to join in a mill together with Ephraim, a lower class citizen. Later in chapter 25 in the book of Ephraim, we're going to find a toiva Tashem, We'll see something that is detestable in the eyes of God, referring to someone who uses fraud to try to make money by using false weights. Back in Sefer Vayikra, incest and what was called the Arayot was referred to as a toiva, a human sleeping with an animal or a father sleeping with his daughter. That type of behavior is always referred to in the Torah as a toiva. And now in this introductory line, the Torah tells us, you shall not eat anything that is a toiva. Now there's three basic approaches in regard to what is bad about these animals. It could be they're bad for your health, but if that's the case, it would make sense that this should be forbidden for all human beings and not only the Jewish people. It could be bad for your soul. That'll be the Ramban's approach because we want to develop our spiritual soul. These foods are harmful for spiritual development and therefore we as God's people who want to be spiritual should not eat them. Sforla points out that these foods are bad for your character. Basically, he says what you eat is what you are. And therefore, if you eat animals who are cruel and mean, then you yourself may become cruel and mean. Rashi appears to take on a different approach, and he claims they're to a vote because God said so. And what makes them forbidden? The very fact that God says they're forbidden. Not that there's anything necessarily bad about them, but once God says they're forbidden, you can't eat them. And that makes them a toiva. Ebenezer suggests a different approach, that eating these items relates to how you're viewed in the eyes of the nations, and because these items are toivot, they're detestable in the eyes of cultured people, don't eat them because you're God's people. A nice example would be royalty in England. Someone in the royal family would not eat on a table on plastic. They would only eat with silverware, with a fine tablecloth, with a fork and a knife and a spoon. You don't eat with your hands, what we call proper etiquette. And as God's people, we're a type of royalty, and therefore don't eat animals that are detestable in the eyes of cultured people. Ibn Ezra's approach would also fit very nicely with the overriding theme in Sefer Devarim of being a nation representing God living in its land. And the way we're viewed by the other nations is important for the glorification of God. And therefore, as this food affects how people view you, it's included in the laws of Sefer Devarim that are going to establish this Goy Kadosh in the land of Israel. We can bring a proof to Ibn Ezra's approach, first of all, from the previous verse in chapter 14. Because you are a nation separated in the service of God, and therefore these laws of not eating a toiva 
stemmed from the previous line, introducing this whole section. And also, back in Sefer Shmot, in chapter 22, verse 30, in the middle of Parshat Mishpatim, we find a very similar law that says, Ba'anshe Kodesh Tiyuvi, you must be a holy people for me. Do not eat a dead animal, an animal that was killed in the field. Don't sit down and eat that animal. Instead, feed it to the dogs because you are Lam Kadosh. You as God's people should not be seen eating an animal that was killed by another animal and its carcass just lies there. That would be repulsive in the eyes of others. And therefore, you as God's people do not act in that manner. I would like to suggest another possibility based on a verse in Sefer Vayikra in chapter 20 in Parshat Toshim to you in regard to our need to differentiate between different types of animals. In Vayikra chapter 20, verses 25 and 26, we have a summary verse that reads as follows, You must separate and recognize the difference between a clean animal and an unclean animal, and between clean and unclean birds, and do not defile your souls with any animals or birds or any creeping thing on the land that I separated for you to make them tame, to make them unclean. Why? Verse 26 continues, Thus you shall be holy for me, because I, God, I am Kadosh, and I separated you from all the nations to serve me. We see from that verse that by separating between kosher and non-kosher animals, that reminds us that we are separated from the other nations in the service of God. So in a manner similar to Ebenezer's explanation, that this is important in the eyes of the nations, the way they view us, here we could also see this is something important in our own eyes, the way we view ourselves. By separating and differentiating between different animals that can be eaten and not eaten, we remember that we were chosen by God separated from the other nations for a purpose. And that would explain why it, these animals are specifically forbidden for Am Yisrael and not for mankind. If these animals were bad for one's soul or spiritual growth or their health, then it should be a law for all nations and not only for us. But if these laws are there to remind us of the special nature of our chosenness and why we were chosen and the meaning of being Jewish, then it makes sense why they are for only God's people and not for all mankind. In fact, all mankind has a law similar to this called Ever Minachai. One of the seven Ochet laws, which we find in the beginning of chapter 9 in Breshit, is not eating the flesh of an animal while the animal is still alive, called Ever Minachai. That is a law for all mankind, but for God's special people who are chosen to serve Him, we have extra restrictions, and these restrictions of what we can eat and what we can't eat help remind us of the nature of our chosenness. Also, within the wider theme of Sefer Dvarim, of setting up a society representing God, this national diet can also help shape our culture and identity and fit into the wider rubric of Sefer Dvarim of becoming a nation in the land of Israel, a society representing God and keeping that tradition going forever. Let's continue now with verse 4, Pasuk Dalet. Zot asher tochelu. These are the animals that one is permitted to eat. Shor, sech savim v'seizim. An ox, a sheep, or a goat. It's not by chance that these are the first three animals that we are permitted to eat, because it just so happens that these are the three behemoth, these are the three clean animals that can also be sacrifices. There are other animals that are kosher, but the only animals that can be a sacrifice are basically cows, 
sheep and goats. It is also interesting to note that these three animals are the classic domesticated animals that humans made a business out of. We call them livestock, where as opposed to wild animals that roam, these specific animals were domesticated by man, and we use them not only to provide for meat, but also from the sheep we can make clothing, we can take the milk from these animals and drink it, we can also use the ox to plow our fields. In fact, in the study of anthropology, one of the definitions of when civilization begins is with the domestication of these animals, and therefore one of the first professions we're going to find in the Torah will be that of a shepherd, or the Re'etzon, as was Hevel. In contrast, Cain was a farmer, and that's the domestication of wheat, and the other type of food that we eat. And we should also note that the domestication of wheat and the domestication of animals are one of the key types of behavior of humans that make them different than animals. It can also be a reminder to us of the fact how God made us in His image, in contrast to the animals. This goes back to even a wider theme in regard to why God permitted man to eat meat only after the flood and not before the flood, but hopefully we will have time to discuss that topic in a later shiur. So let's continue now with verse 5. These are more animals that are permitted to eat. They cannot be sacrifices, but they are kosher animals. The deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Now, after listing the animals that we can eat, we continue now in verse 6, where we find the simanim, the signs of these kosher animals. Pasik vav, mafreset parsa, shesa, prasot, malat gera ota Any animal that divides the hoof and has the hoof split in two and chews its cud among the animals, those are the animals that one may eat. These are known as the simanim of a kosher animal. As I'm sure you've noticed, the animals that we can eat are animals that do not eat other animals. Even though the Torah doesn't say this explicitly, but it seems like the animals that we can eat are animals that do not eat other animals. Or basically, a carnivore is forbidden, but a herbivore is permitted. That is not a halachic definition, but rather, but that seems to be typical of these simanim, of these signs, because if the main source of food for the animal is from vegetation, there's a need to process that food over and over again, which is why the animal has to chew its cud. And also the split hoofs enables it to maneuver itself in the field, which is very helpful for grazing as well. And therefore these signs can be understood as typical of animals that do not eat other animals. Now we see the animals that one is forbidden to eat. In Pasuk Zion, verse 7, <laughs> But these animals you cannot eat, even though some of them may chew their cud or have split hoofs, but they do not have both. The camel, the rabbit, and the shafan, even though they chew their cud, they do not divide their hoofs, and therefore they are tamay, they are unclean for you, and you cannot eat them. And on the flip side, Pasachet, verse 8, and the pig, even though it has a split hoof, it does not chew its cud. It is unclean for you. You cannot eat from their meat, nor can you touch their dead carcass. That concluded the definition of kosher and non-kosher animals. Now we move to the definition of kosher and non-kosher fish. 
Pasuk Tet, verse 9. This is what one can eat from anything that is in the water. Anything that has fins and scales, you may eat. Verse 10, Pasuk Yud. But anything that does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. The next topic will be the birds that are permitted. Notice that the topic of the first section of chapter 14 were animals that were created on day 6. But now we find in the second section, we find the living things that were created on day 5. First we had the fish, and now we have the birds. Pasuk in Aleph, verse 11. Any clean bird, one may eat. Pasuk Yudvet, verse 12. But these are the ones that you shall not eat, the eagle and the vulture and the buzzard. Just a quick note, I'm simply reading from the English translation. Most of these animals have no idea what they are, either in Hebrew or English. And I'm pretty sure most of the readers are just as unaware. There's a wonderful book by Nathan Slifkin about animals in the Bible. And anyone interested in more details on these animals, I highly suggest you read his works. And because of that, I will simply read now the Hebrew of the next several verses, Pasig Yudgimel, verse 13, V'hara'ah v'etaya v'hadaya l'mina, v'et ko'orev l'mino, all different types of ravens. Verse 15, Pasig Tedvav, v'et patayana v'etatachmas v'etashachaf v'etanets l'minehu, and the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, and the hawk of all the different species. Pasig Tedzayin, verse 16, v'etakos v'etayanshuf v'etinshamet, the little owl, the great owl, and the white owl. Verse 17 and 18. Pasuk Yotet, verse 19. And every flying insect, it is tamay for you, it is unclean, it is forbidden to eat them. Pasuk Chaf, verse 20. You may eat any clean bird. And finally, in Pasach Havalah, verse 21, You shall not eat any animal which dies by itself. In other words, if it was shechted and slaughtered properly, you could eat it. But if it wasn't shechted, if it wasn't slaughtered properly, and dies through natural means, it is forbidden to eat. That's called a nevelah. You are allowed to give it to a stranger in your gates. And he can eat it. It's referring to a ger who did not convert to Judaism, called a ger toshav, or you can sell it to a foreigner. Because you are an am kadosh, for Hashem your God. You should not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So we see in this last verse that if the animal was not slaughtered properly, even though it is forbidden to eat it, you're allowed to derive benefit from it. Therefore, you can sell it or give it to someone who's not Jewish and they can eat it. And finally, as we are talking about kosher animals, we conclude this section with the prohibition of eating milk and meat together, which is another animal that cannot be eaten, but not because it is not kosher, but rather because it was cooked in milk. In regard to cooking meat together with milk, the rabbis understand because this verse is repeated three times. One time is to tell us that it's forbidden to eat it. The second time tells us it's forbidden to have any benefit from it. So unlike in Avelah, 
If you have meat that was cooked with milk, you cannot sell it or derive any benefit from it. And the third time it's mentioned is to teach you the prohibition of cooking them together. What's called in Hebrew, Isur Achila, Isur Hana'ah, and Isur Bishul. Ramban, in his commentary on Pasach Havalaf, on this verse, makes a very interesting comment, trying to explain why here we have this phrase, because you are an Am Kadosh, because you are a nation separated to serve God. What does this have to do with the specific law? So he says that this phrase is actually going on the end of the verse, and it connects to Lot Vashel Gdi We'll read the Ramban inside. That phrase of because you were an Am Kadosh is connected to not cooking the goat in its mother's milk. Eating the goat is no longer a toiva. It's not something repulsive. The meat itself is fine because usually it's kosher meat. But the reason why it's forbidden to eat this meat that's cooked with its mother's milk is because we're an Am Kadosh. So we should not become a cruel people. To take the mother's milk and then cook the meat of the animal, of the baby, in its own mother's milk, that, he says, is cruelty. And doing something like that would lead to cruel type of behavior. So what could say eating animals altogether is cruel? But Ramban seems to make a distinction. God gave us animals and permitted us to eat animals. But even though it's permitted to eat an animal, we can't overdo it. And therefore, it would be under the same category of not shechting an animal before it's eight days old, or not shechting an animal and its child on the very same day. There's nothing wrong with the animal itself, but the situation is cruel. And therefore, because we're Nam Kadosh, don't do things that are so cruel, which may lead a person to other types of cruel behavior. The next topic will again relate to food, but very different now. Now we're going to talk about produce of the land and the need to take a 10% of that produce and separate it in order to eat it in Yerushalayim, in the Hamakom HaShiv HaRashem. So let's continue now with Pasach Abet, verse 22. You shall take 10% of all the produce from that which you grow, which comes out from the field every year. Pasach Avgimel. This maser should be eaten in front of Hashem your God in the place that God will choose in order for His name and reputation to dwell there. This maser from your grain and from your wine and from your oil and from the firstborn of your cattle and your sheep in order that you will learn to fear Hashem your God all the days of your life. This law is very interesting. First of all, the rabbis refer to this tithing, this maser is maser sheni. The reason why is because there's a different law in regard to taking 10% of your produce, called maser rishon, where the farmer takes 10% of his produce and separates it and gives it over to the Levite. But that 10% is a type of a tax that has no holiness. In other words, that produce can be eaten by anybody, can be eaten anywhere. It belongs to the Levite. It's a type of education tax, which every member of Israel has to give to the tribe of Levi, because the tribe of Levi does not own land, and hence they cannot make their own living. Instead, their tribe is dedicated to teaching Torah and being judges and officiants in the temple. 
And therefore, in order to provide for them, every member of Israel has to give a tax in order that they can continue to do their job. This tithe, this 10% called Maser Shini, can only be consumed within the walls of Yerushalayim, known as HaMakom HaShiv HaRashem. And the reason why, as we mentioned earlier, is the Torah wants every Jew to frequent this place. And the final phrase of verse 23 is key to understanding this law, in order that you learn to fear God all the days of your life. Chumashir is very practical in understanding human nature. If I have 10% of my produce with one restriction, it can only be eaten in Yerushalayim, then that's going to encourage people to go to Yerushalayim and spend time there because no one wants that food to go to waste. But what is the assumption? As Fono points out, Because in this place which is set aside for the temple will also be the Beitin Agadol, the Supreme Jewish Court, and they will explain and teach all the laws. Rashbam also explains in a similar manner that this will be the place of the Shekhinah will enhance each person's spiritual and religious growth. Here again, we find another law for the nation that will shape its character and guarantee its continuity and its eternal nature. It will also ensure that everyone will know the laws of the Torah and understand them and have a place to ask the questions and be inspired. Now comes the problem. What happens if you have a lot of produce, but you can't go to Yerushalayim right away? And if you wait, all that produce is going to get ruined. So the Torah has a solution for that as follows. Pasach Avdalad, verse 24. If the distance is so far away that you cannot carry it on your own. So the place that Hashem is going to choose to make His name there, should that place be too far away? Because Hashem your God had blessed you with so much produce it would be too much to bring that all the way to Yerushalayim. Pasach verse 25, then you can exchange or redeem that produce for money. Then you should bind the money in your hand and go to the place that Hashem is going to choose and bring the money there, as we will now explain in verse 26, Pasach Havav, V'natata HaKesef, then you can spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, or wine, or a strong drink, or whatever your heart desires. And then you should eat there in front of Hashem your God, and you shall rejoice there together with your household. And finally, in verse 27, Pasach Havzayin, The Levite who is back at home in your gates, that is in your city, do not forget him, do not abandon him, because he doesn't have his own portion. He doesn't have land among you, and therefore he's dependent on you. One way to understand this Pasach, as we mentioned earlier, therefore when you go to Yerushalayim, bring your Levite, or bring your Rabbi with you. That appears to be the approach of the Rashbam. In contrast, Rashi and Ebenezer both explain, this is referring to Maser Rishon that we mentioned earlier, that when you give the Maser Sheni and you take it to eat that in Yerushalayim, don't forget to separate and give Maser Rishon to the Levite back home. In other words, it's not talking about bringing the Levite with you, as we explained earlier, but rather, don't forget to give the first tithe to the Levite who's living back at home and not coming with you to Yerushalayim. Now we have one final law in regard to this Maser, 
Maser again is the tithe, and the root of the word is mi-eser. One out of ten is ten percent. Mi-eser, and hence the word is maser. Verse 28, Pasach At the end of every three years, you should take all your maser from all your produce of that year and leave it in front of your gate which implies leave it at home and do not take it to Yerushalayim. This Maser now, instead of being Maser Sheni and bringing it to Yerushalayim, every three years, it's called Maser Ani, as we will see, and we are not going to take it to Yerushalayim. Instead, we are going to leave it at home. Pasach verse 29. Then the Levite should come, because he has no portion with you in the land. And also the stranger, the orphan, or the widow who may be living within your gates. Again, the poor people of your city. And they should eat this 10% and they should become satiated. In order that Hashem your God should bless you in all the work of your hand which you may do. This law is very interesting because it appears to set up a connection between our own personal religious needs and our need to help our fellow neighbor. Now, what we could do is simply have one law of separating maser for every Jew to go and eat in Yerushalayim and a different tax to give to the poor people. But what Chumash is doing, it's taking the exact same maser, the very same tax that we use for our own spiritual growth in years one and two that we bring to Yerushalayim, that very same tax now we use to help our community, which I think sets up a type of an equation and highlighting that there's a connection between our own spiritual growth and our need to help others and build a stronger community and make sure that there's social justice in our town. Again, we find a law that will set the nature of our nation. And like all the other laws we've been seeing now in Sefer Tvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu is presenting many laws that are going to shape the very character of our national behavior. This three-year cycle will be repeated in year four and five, the Maser goes to Yerushalayim. And in year six, again, it is eaten in your town and given to the poor and the needy and to the Levite. And tomorrow's year, we will talk about what happens in the seventh year, better known as the Shemitah year.